Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 33 is where we are. We continue to move through the book of Genesis, and tonight we're looking at an account called Reconciled Brothers. Genesis 33, the theme is reconciliation. So let's pray one more time as we prepare our hearts, fathers. We look at the great subject of reconciliation. It is such a rich biblical theme running really through the whole Bible. And it culminates in the work of Jesus Christ who came to reconcile us back to God and has given us the ministry of reconciliation as though God were pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God. It's a rich term, Lord. It's a term that uh, has deep meaning, both for our relationship with you and for our relationship with one another. It goes hand in hand with the idea of forgiveness. And tonight, Lord, it's our our prayer that you would just speak to us about um, how you've reconciled us back to yourself and how we might be ministers of reconciliation in this world. We just pray you'll lead us by your spirit. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We want to welcome you again, Genesis 33. We're glad you're here. The story tonight uh, before us is a beautiful example of what true reconciliation looks like. And I would say to you that life is truly unsettled when we are not reconciled to God, first and foremost, but to others that we care about too. I'll say that one more time. Life feels unsettled when we are not reconciled to God and to others around us, those who are important to us. Life is filled with opportunities to be irreconciled to people. In fact, there are many people who end up in courts of law, and they say they have irreconcilable differences. (laughs) What that truly means is that they just can't figure out how to live together, how to love each other, how to forgive each other. And uh, if you look at the idea of reconciliation and you ask the question, why would someone need to be reconciled back to somebody else? There's really two major reasons for it. One major reason is sin. The reason that people need to be reconciled back to one another, and we'll, we'll take this into our relationship with God as well in a moment, because there's a problem. And the problem, the root or heart of the problem is, is sin, Uh, Sin is what causes a divide. In fact, the Bible teaches us in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that our sins have made a separation between us and our God so that he will not hear. His arm is not so short that he cannot save. His ear is not dull that he cannot hear. But the problem is sin. And the problem is uh, sin in our relationship with God, but the problem also spills over to our relationship with people. I would say to you that the reason that there's a need for reconciliation for the most part is sin, but there's a second thing that does need to be considered, and sometimes it's just simply hurt. You see, sometimes when there's a need for reconciliation, it's not always about sin. It can be about misunderstanding. It it can be about that sometimes we hurt people um, that we love. I think sometimes what's at the root of, of the need for reconciliation is simply a misunderstanding. And you may have some of those in your life tonight where maybe there's some relationship in your life that's not what it should be. And the reason that that relationship isn't what it should be is because there's been a misunderstanding. And and that happens in this world. We live in a world where there's all kinds of potential for misunderstanding, amen? 
I mean, it seems like everywhere we turn, we can be misunderstood, other people can misunderstand us. But I think at the core of the need for reconciliation is sin, and sin can mean just simply that we're imperfect, that we miss the mark, but sin is also transgression. And sometimes we just hurt people that are near and dear to us. And when that happens, uh, it brings a separation in the relationship between people. So when a sin occurs, a transgression, a difficulty in life, here's the idea of, of what happens. These, these words have some synonymous meaning. Alienation happens. In fact, uh, one of the pictures of, of the need for reconciliation and what happens with the ministry of Jesus Christ is that we've been brought near to God. We who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that when we are alienated from God or separated from God because of our sin, we move back. There's a separation. This is the, the biblical uh, picture of what sin does. It moves us away from God. It moves us away from a relationship with God. And the same is true with our human relationships. When a sin occurs, when a wrong is done, when a hurt happens, when someone gets wounded, they back away from us, or sometimes we back away from them, or sometimes it's both. It's interesting that the word for worship, one of the ideas of the word for worship is to come near to God. God says, if you'll draw near to him, he'll what? Draw near to you. But when there's something that happens in life, whether it's a sin, whether it's intentional transgression or a shortcoming or misunderstanding or whatever it may be, it, it causes a moving back from an intimate relationship. Christianity at its core is to know God in an intimate relationship. It's, Christianity is not about you just showing up at certain places and you don't do certain things and you do certain things and that's what makes you a Christian. To be a Christian is to know God. Jesus said this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Christianity is to know God. Eternal life is to know God. And when you are alienated from God or separated from God, the solution is reconciliation. The way that reconciliation is, is bought for us as Christian, as we've been, Christians is we've been reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We who are far away have been brought near. That's the beauty of what's happened. And sometimes, uh, those of you who have been around the church for a while, you know that the kind of the old uh, picture way that they used to show this in evangelism is they would have like a gospel tract and it would show us as people, sinful human beings, and we'd, we'd be across, you know, on the other side away from God and God God's on this side, and there's this great gulf or chasm between the two of us. And so, you know, oftentimes old gospel tracts would show that people tried to jump over the chasm, this big gulf with good works or religion or, you know, morality, you name it. But each person that tried to bridge that gulf could never get there. J. Vernon McGee said that, you know, if we try to get to God with our, our own good works, it would be like us trying to run off the pier and jump for Catalina, and he said, some of you would get farther than others. It's true. Some of you have better knees than some of us. And you might get a couple feet farther, but nobody's getting to Catalina. The point is, is that there's this great gulf between us and God at sin. And the only way that that gulf could be remedied is through Jesus Christ. And I like how it's pictured on some of the, the old... Um, gospel tracts, because it shows a, a, a cross, and the cross becomes the bridge wherein sinful man crosses back over to God and enters back into a relationship. 
That's kind of a quick explanation of reconciliation. Tonight, we will look at a picture of reconciliation and the need for forgiveness. And of course, the story is between two men, their brothers, and their names are Jacob and Esau. And for the most part, when the story unfolds in Genesis, most of the focus is on Jacob because Jacob becomes Israel. Israel becomes that you know, nation for, through whom the Messiah comes. And so much emphasis is on Jacob. However, the man that really is bearing the grudge right now is Esau. And if you looked at tonight from Esau's perspective for a second, so he's the brother that's been wronged. And what happened is that his brother, his younger brother, they were twins, but Esau was born first. His younger brother stole his birthright. And in that culture, this is a biggie. Now, we do have to say that Esau was pretty dumb because what did he trade the birthright for? A bowl of hungry men's stew. That's exactly right. Right? I mean, so he, he devalued the birthright and Jacob took advantage of is devaluing it. And then Jacob did something dastardly the second time he duped his brother, and that was that he stole his blessing. And he dressed up like Esau and he put fur, you know, on and tried to act, you know, sprayed on Esau's cologne, which was Hunter by, uh, I don't know who, who made it. Anyway, and he fooled dad and dad gave the blessing. And then when Esau showed up, the real Esau showed up, he said, don't you have a blessing for me, my father? This Jacob, is he not rightly called Jacob? He's a supplanter, man. He's a conniver, that brother of mine. And so we know the story. Esau took some, you know, comfort in the fact that when dad passed away, he would kill Jacob. And this is now what he's been chewing on for 20 years. Now, as far as Jacob knows, Esau's been holding a grudge for 20 years. I know in this room tonight, that might not be unusual for some people who have not talked to a family member in 20 years. You know, I hear stories of families that haven't talked to each other. And then we get called, this is what happens to pastors sometimes. We get called in to do a funeral or a memorial service. And then we find out, hey, oh, by the way, uh, so-and-so is coming and they haven't talked to so-and-so in 20 years. In fact, they hate each other. Uh, so-and-so may be coming with a gun. So we're hoping that you can bring calm and peace to this. And you're like, what? <laughs> How much are you guys paying me for this? Did I sign up for this? They didn't tell me when I signed up to be a pastor that this is the kind of stuff I would be dealing with. But anyway, relationships, man, they, they can be hurt. There can be uh, wounds that happen. Now, what God offers is terms of peace for mankind. He offers terms of peace through his son, Jesus Christ. He says, look, if you want to, to be at peace with me, you've got to do it my way. I sent my son. This is how you'll be reconciled back to me. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem in Luke 19, he said, if you, only you, knew the things which make for peace, but now they are what? Hidden from your eyes. You would not pay attention. Terms of peace are laid out, but they must be received by the sinner. So I think most of this room is filled with believers tonight, and we all know terms of peace were offered to us, maybe through the hearing of the word of God on the radio, maybe through a church service or however you heard it, maybe you're at a harvest crusade, and the terms of peace were laid out. Let's take a harvest crusade, for example. And people were, were told, 
Here's your problem, it's sin. Here's what, it's got, what God did through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the terms of peace. Do you wanna have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1? Here's the offer. And sometimes you watch this beautiful thing happen, Billy Graham Crusades, Harvest, and people start to flood down to a field. Now, we don't know every story, but let's just say, for example, that every person that walks down onto that field is accepting the terms of peace. They're making a move. The offer is made. Here's how you can be reconciled back to God, but the choice still lies within the individual. Now, I know in theological circles how that all works gets a little bit debated, but in the end, a term of peace is offered. Here's how you can be right with me. Will you receive that? And if a person responds with the affirmative, with a positive response, and they repent and receive Christ, they enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the simple explanation of the gospel. And it's not very different with people. And here's how it works. So let's say somebody sins against you and you want to offer terms of peace. Maybe your expectation is that you would hear that they would be sorry, that they would take ownership, that they would ask for forgiveness. You would look for some things that would show contriteness and brokenness and the offer is extended. But the offer that God extends is still with expectation that you're going to ask for forgiveness, that you're going to repent, that you're going to be contrite. You're going to own your condition before God and you're going to make it right. And God and Jesus says in John 6 that anybody who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. If you come to him in honest brokenness, God will not reject contrition. What does that mean? If you're broken and sorry for your sin, God says the door is open. That's why I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you. And in the human relationships, this is Romans 12, 18. It says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. You can offer terms of peace, but when you do, someone still needs to respond. In other words, reconciliation is a two-way street, amen? Now, there's the party that's been offended. There's the party that wants to extend forgiveness, but yet um, it takes, uh, it's a two-way thing. And so I don't know in, in a room like this tonight how many of you need to be reconciled to someone. You may have multiple people that come to your mind tonight that this is going to apply to. And I will tell you tonight that this is a beautiful story of hope, maybe even a story of unexpected grace where, you know, maybe there was a thought that this would never be settled. This would never be right again. We know from the very beginning, these two brothers struggled in the womb. We know that mom asked what was going on and they, jost they were literally jostling in the womb. And from the beginning of Jacob's life, uh, he was a wrestler. <laughs> he was a struggler with people and even with God. And he was living in the shadow of uh, the, the anticipation of a dark reunion. At least he thought it was going to be dark with his brother Esau. 20 years have gone by. They're all grown up. Jacob's got a big family. And now he's anticipating brother coming. And when he sent his servants out, one of the servants came back and said, oh, Esau is coming and 400 men are coming with him. Remember that? Size of a small militia. So Jacob begins to take measures and he begins to organize gifts to appease his brother and he begins to organize his family and he's doing everything he can, humanly speaking, to make sure that he has the best chance for survival. Jacob has certainly grown, but he doesn't know what's happened to Esau. And for all that he knows, Esau has just been really letting this grudge and the bitterness and the resentment grow for 20 years. And for all he knows, his hatred has gotten worse. So he's expecting the worst. Have you noticed that sometimes when God's working in your life and you're 
uh, thinking about anticipating a meeting with someone where there's a strain, we often can make it worse than it actually is. But here's what happens. So uh, when Jacob does everything humanly possible that he can do, and he's in the camp by himself, he even sends the, the family, the wives and the kids across the brook, all of a sudden, that divine visitor showed up on that night. And remember, he was grabbed, and, and he was in a wrestling match until the wee hours of the morning, right? And we were told from a commentary in Hosea chapter 12 that Jacob wrestled with the angel, Hosea 12, verse 4, and he wept and sought his favor. The commentary from Hosea 12, 4, back on Genesis 32, is that really Jacob was hanging on for dear life and he was weeping and he was saying, please, will you bless me, please? Because we know what he was anticipating the next day. The next day he had the meeting of his life, the meeting where his life was on the line. And I think that Jacob was at the camp and he was praying and he was saying, oh God, will you please help me? We have this recorded prayer. Oh Lord, will you deliver me from my brother Esau? And he was praying and we've all had those nights. Have you had those nights? I've had many nights like that. Sometimes I have those nights when I drink coffee too late. Can I get a witness? And all of a sudden, man, I'm replaying things in my mind all night long. There's a remedy for that. Switch to decaf. I haven't quite gotten there yet. But, but sometimes we just have those nights. It, it, it has nothing to do with coffee. We just have a heavy heart and a heavy mind. And I, and I mentioned to you that for Jacob... It's the reason that he's going to have this meeting with Esau is not necessarily geographical, but spiritual. Now, I'm doing a little repeat from last week, but in other words, it doesn't appear that Jacob had to pass through Esau's land. It appears that it was heavy on his heart to make this right. Some of you may be in an experience right now where God's been putting a past situation on your heart, and he's been telling you, I want you to make that right. I have a friend that became a Christian many years ago, and he said he became a Christian. He had three things that God asked him to do uh, after becoming a Christian, three things that he had to make amends for or reconcile. And one of them involved a very uncomfortable phone call that he had to make. And he said he did all three of them, and God give, gave him the grace. But he said it was very hard to take those steps. It's one of those things where, you know, you try to confirm it, like, God, is that really you? Is this really what you want me to do? But he said when he did all three of those things, and they had to do with relationships and even things that he didn't do the right way with integrity, um, God was with him in every single uh, situation. So this divine visitor comes into the camp, and this divine visitor uh, wrestles with Jacob, and two things happen to Jacob that night. Number one, he gets a new name. What's his new name? Israel. And that name means God prevails, or, uh, you know, it could be governed by God, or we flipped it around last week. It could be God governs or God prevails. But the idea is God did prevail. And we said, we said that Jacob won by losing. And another thing happened that night. He got a new name and a new limp. How do you like that? Because the, the divine visitor touched his thigh. You remember that? Shablam! Whatever that was. And ah! And Jacob had a new name and a new walk. Or if you like it this way, he had a new name and a new hitch in his giddy up. You kind of like this. Jacob was limping. He never walked the same again. Now, when we talk about our walk with Jesus Christ, there's a lot of things the Bible talks about in rapid fire. 
Romans 6, 4 says we're to walk in newness of life. Romans 8, 4 says we're to walk according to the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians 5, 17 and 25 says we walk by the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 10 says we walk in good works that God prepares beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4, 1 says we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Ephesians 4, 17 says we walk not as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Ephesians 5, 2 says walk in love. Ephesians 5, 8 says walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, 15 says, walk carefully and wise. Philippians 3, 17 and 18 says, follow godly examples. Colossians 1, 10 says, we walk to please God in all respects. John, 1 John 1, 7 says, we walk in the light as he is in the light. And 1 John 2, 6 says, we walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. Now, if you want that again, sorry, it's not going to happen. But I'll tell you this, you can go back and get this recording. Or if you're a guy, I'm going to go over these on Saturday morning at the men's breakfast with a little bit more detail. Jacob never walked the same again. Would you all take a peek with me at um, Genesis uh, 24 for a second? Let's go back there for a second. You say, Pastor Michael, you haven't even done one verse yet. I know. We're, we're going to get there. But here we go. Genesis 24, look at verse 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way, 24-2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. And what happened was he had the servant make an oath promise to go get a bride for his son from his kin, not from outside of his, his kin. And so the promise was made by grabbing the inner thigh. This is, a, this is kind of a patriarchal way to do things. And there are scholars that believe that when the thigh was grabbed, it was a promise on future children or on your posterity. Some people say it's a close connection to the idea of circumcision. I don't know if that's true. But it was basically you made an oath promise and you said, I swear on future generations that I will keep my word. Okay. One more place to take a peek at this. Genesis 47, this is a highlight of what's ahead, but Genesis 47, Jacob's old. And it says in chapter 47, go to verse 27, 47, 27. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. 47, 28. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, that's Jacob. His name is, goes back and forth from Jacob to Israel. When the time, verse 29, for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, please, if I found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel or Jacob bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Just before he died, he called Joseph and he said, I want you to make this oath promise and I want you to grab the thigh and make this covenant promise. Everybody go, go back to our chapter, Genesis 33. When the strange visitor, the divine visitor comes in, the angel of the Lord, an Old Testament appearance of God, a theophany, a Christophany, what does he do to Jacob? He touches what? His thigh. And Jacob had been wrestling with these kinds of thoughts. Is Esau going to kill me and my whole family? 
God, you said, I'm going to have a family that uh, outnumbers the sand of the sea or the dust of the ground, sand of the seashore. But how is that going to happen with him coming with 400 men? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, save me. And all of a sudden, he's in this wrestling match, and he's wrestling. Oh, God, help. I need your favor. Pam! All of a sudden, he gets hit in the thigh. Here's something. This is a consideration. Do you think the message from that interesting visitor was something like this? Jacob, I know you're, you're between a rock and a hard place. I know you're wondering if you're going to make it past tomorrow. I know you're wondering if I'm going to be good to my promises. Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll confirm it for you. And I think that this divine visitor, I think there is a connection here, gave Jacob an oath, said, this is what you're used to, okay, and bam, Jacob got the message, I will be true to my promises. In Genesis 33, we see Jacob and Esau, who really wrestled from the time they were in their mother's womb, we see them reconciled. You know, reconciliation, folks, is really the story of the Bible. Uh, God was reconciling um, all things back to himself in Jesus Christ, no longer holding our sins against us. In fact, the church... Uh, it says that the church has been given a ministry, and that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, it means to be made right again. It means that there was something between you. It means that there was some hurt, some wound. In fact, in our case, it means that our sin had separated us from God. Think of to be unreconciled means to be separated from somebody. In our case, as human beings, we're, we're separated from God by sin. In Jacob and Esau's case, there had been a wound there, and uh, they were um, brothers who were separated, and there was angst and anger and resentment and bitterness and even a grudge that was turning into the desire to kill the other brother. And yet, when they came back together years later, there was a, a sweet reconciliation. Brothers were reconciled one to another. We have, a, we have a gospel of reconciliation, a ministry of reconciliation, as though God were pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God. But it's hard to preach a, a message of reconciliation when we're at odds with our brothers and sisters. And look, folks, being real, it does happen in the church. It says as, as much as it depends on us, we're to live at peace with all people, but sometimes we find ourselves at odds with other people. Sometimes we, we find ourselves wounded by other Christians. We... We might have a grudge in our heart. We may have bitterness in our soul. And that's the time when we need to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Not just so that we can be free, uh, but so that we can do what the Bible commands us to do. The, the Bible uh, tells us that we were reconciled to God and we were forgiven while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And of course, we need to take hold of that promise by receiving what the, G the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. But I sense, um, as you're listening right now, that there, there are many of you out there that are in a situation where something is not reconciled, and, and you're at war with someone, and, and you've got, you're feeling it in your soul right now. And, and I know it bothers you as a Christian when things are not right. Just to give you a word of grace, the Bible says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Uh, sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it takes time for walls to fall down. It took years for Jacob and Esau to come back together. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, 
go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.